Hi, and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast of Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're glad you've tuned in for today's sermon. My name is Ryan, and I'll be your host today. If you're listening to Stony Creek Radio for the first time, this series begins on episode 16. As we study Ecclesiastes together in this series, Chasing the Wind, we're going to be wrestling through some of life's biggest and most important questions. And our prayer is that we'll see together how God brings meaning to everything under the sun by means of His Son. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump right into today's sermon. It's going to do just Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. Verses 8 to 20, and then in my studying this week, Ashley did the opposite of what the last two weeks have done, and we've extended it into chapter 6, because I want to show you there's a structure to verses 8 and chapter 5 all the way to the end of chapter 6 that we miss if we split it up. So we're going to be doing chapter 5, the last part of it we didn't do last week, and then into chapter 6 today. Now, if I were to ask you a question... This question, or not really a question, ask you to finish the sentence. Maybe you could write this down if you have a piece of a piece of paper. Just think about this. But how would you finish the sentence? I will be satisfied when. Dot dot dot. Underline. How would you answer that question? When I was in university, the way I answered that question, I was working on my economics degree, and I answered that question by saying, I will be satisfied when three things happen. Number one, I have a million dollars by the time I'm 30. Number two, I wanted to drive a BMW. I'll be satisfied when I have a million dollars by the time I'm 30 and that I'm driving a BMW. And number three, I will be satisfied when I have a smoking hot wife. (laughs) So those are the three pursuits, the three goals that I remember even writing out. They were big on the business world of setting goals and setting realistic goals even. Those weren't really realistic for me. But I remember writing them out, my three goals in life. I'll be satisfied when this happens. And regardless of how you answered that question, it's it's a good question for us to be wrestling with. And it's a good question that Solomon has been wrestling with and he's going to continue to wrestle with today under the umbrella now of the topic of money. Money and wealth. I'll be satisfied when I have this much money or what does that look like? And this is what he's going to do as we work through this section today. Now, true or false question, money is the root of all evil. False. Often it gets quoted like that, but the Bible says the love of money and doesn't say is the root of all evil because we know there's a lot of evil that's not the root of the love of money. There's a lot of evil in our world we can see that's the root, root, the root has the root of hatred, has Injustice, there's so many things that aren't money. The scriptures say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what Solomon is going to do for us in this section is actually break down what some of those evils are. And he's going to expose money for what it is. Money isn't inherently bad. Money is not inherently good either. Money can be used for bad. Money can be used 
for good. And so he is going to wrestle with us as we wrestle with him about the right relationship we should have with money. We cannot be looking to money and wealth for our satisfaction is what he's going to tell us. And he's going to steer us as he begins to break down why we can't do that to a central point in the middle of this kind of section. And so this section is written, as I was studying this week, it was pointed out by a commentary that this is in, uh, it's a poetic way of writing, but much of the, not much, it's often we see it in the Old Testament. It's called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. And a chiastic structure has parallels, like breathing of brackets on either side, and it drives to a point. Often when we're telling a story, we tell it, we get to the punchline at the end. And the main point kind of comes out at the end. And much of the writing, especially in a chiastic structure form of writing, the point is in the middle. And so what he's going to do is break down why money can't satisfy, drive to a point, and then remind us again why money won't satisfy as it comes out. I'm going to show you the, if it's not making sense to you, let me show you on the screen. So this is the structure of, you can put the next slide, the, the structure on it. So that's the structure that we're going to see. So the first section talks about why money doesn't satisfy. He's going to break that down for us. Then he's going to talk about why the love of money, or you could say trusting in money for satisfaction, for joy, it's just a bad idea. He's going to break those down, why that is the case. And then he's going to drive us to the center point of who then we should be trusting in and the right relationship we then should have with money. And then look out from out from under the sun. That's a weird sentence. Look out from under the sun and look at who we should be trusting in for that satisfaction. And then he's going to, as he leaves, reminds us why it's important that we do not trust in money, that we build on a foundation that cannot be destroyed by moth and rust. Think in terms of money and wealth. Why would we want to build on a foundation that can just be destroyed by moth and rust? Let's build on a foundation that is unshakable. Let's build on a foundation that will stand strong forever. And this is where Solomon is going to drive us to. So I wanted you to see that as we work through it and explain to you why we're looking at a little bit longer of a section than we were planning. And he's going to talk about how so often, think of all of the, the, the things, you could say the word, the word God, all the gods that we look to to find contentment. Of all of them, one of the ones we struggle with the most is money. Money has a way of disguising itself as God in a way that our hearts sometimes will gravitate to. Money has a great way, by great I mean a bad way, but it's very good at disguising itself as God and saying, hey, get more of me and you'll be happy. If you just have a little bit more of me, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be content. You can buy that house you want. You can buy that BMW. Can't buy a smoking hot wife, but money has a great way of doing that. And our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves, so quickly gravitate to that. And so he's going to expose the reasons why the pursuit of riches defines satisfaction is just simply going to leave you frustrated. It's a bad idea. It's going to leave you sad. It's going to leave others sad. So he's going to be showing us 
the dark side of money. It's not that it's inherently bad, but it can do to us that which leads us into becoming very frustrated if we begin to look at it as the source of our contentment. If I just have enough, I'll be fine. So let's, let's look at it together. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 5, Ecclesiastes. So it begins here. He says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So it begins on this topic of, he says, if you see in a province. So we're talking in, in realms of politics. Don't ever talk about politics on a first date. We're going to talk a little bit about it here in the sense that he, he's bringing out that when you, see political, when you see political power that oppresses people, don't be surprised at that because power corrupts. Power corrupts. Doesn't have to, but it so often does. When you get that power, he's like, don't be surprised when you see political kings when you see presidents, when you see prime ministers acting in their own interest and not in the interest of the people by which they are called to serve. Don't be surprised at that, he says. That's why he says it's all vanity. It leads to injustice. This pursuit of power, this pursuit of wealth often leads us to trample whoever we want to get to the top. And we begin looking only to our own interest and not to the interests of others. It's this picture, this idea here of powerful, rich people who are oppressing those below them by taking advantage of them. And Solomon says, don't be surprised when you see it. It's what our heart does with these things. It's the way of the dragon to trample. It's the way of the dragon to look out only for yourself and not the good of others. And what I love about this section that the closing bracket is also going to deal with, what I love about this is what it points us to. It points us to our need for a greater king. Our need for a king who is just. When you look across the landscape of our world and you see pol political power taking advantage of the weak, reminds us of, of, of our need of a king who looks to our interests ahead of his own. A king who is perfectly righteous and perfect in justice. Do you know a king like that? We're going to talk about that as we get to the closing bracket. Let's look on. Verse 11, uh, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Why? Because you'll never have enough. When you love money, you'll never have enough. You think and you look across the landscape of our world and the number of billionaires that, that exist today and some of the richest people in the world, you think at some point they just step back and say, okay, I think I've had enough. But instead, what are they doing? They're fighting over who can get to space the fastest and get a hotel up there. It's vanity. When you have money, you just want more money. A millionaire was asked one time, what's your favorite million that you made? And he said, my next million. 
Why won't money satisfy? Because you'll never have enough. And, 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 and try not to understand. So maybe you're here today and you, and you don't have a lot of money and you're thinking, well, I'm glad Mark's saying this to all the rich folk out there. This has nothing to do with your tax bracket. This has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank account right now. This has everything to do with your hearts. You can have a lot of money and be driven by the love of money, or you can have very little money and be driven by the love of money. He's dealing here with the heart and where you're looking to to find that joy and that satisfaction. So the issue is being content with what you have, with what God has given to you. And so why won't riches and the pursuit of riches ever satisfy you? Because the love of money leads to always wanting more, to never having enough. And then he says in verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? What's he saying here? The more money you get, the more friends you'll have. The more money you get, the more leeches will come. Ooh, <laughs> not literal leeches, but people who act like leeches and try to take from you what you have. And you talk to those who have won the lottery and they'll share with you people that they haven't talked to for 20 years who come out of the woodwork and say, hey, how are you doing? All of a sudden, when you're worth $300 million, you have more friends. Leeches come out of the woodwork. Why won't the pursuit of riches satisfy? You're just going to attract more leeches. And you're going to wonder, do they like me for me or are they just here for my money? It increases your anxieties. And this is what leads into number three in verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but full is the stomach of the rich. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So money doesn't bring rest or peace. We think, well, if I just have enough money, I can rest. I'll be content. I can have peace. But that just simply doesn't happen. Anyone that has money will tell you this. And so it's this picture here of money and the, the, well, greed. Greed doesn't let you sleep. And the contrast there is between a laborer, a laborer who does a hard day's labor, and the contrast, the picture being given is of a laborer, maybe with a family, who invests his time in the evenings with his family as he puts in a hard day's work. And he's tired at the end of the day, and he can sleep knowing he put in a hard day's work versus someone who's pursuing money and money and money, who can't sleep because they're restless about how they can make more money. They're restless about how they can protect the money they already have. And so it leads to this kind of restlessness and Solomon knows what this is like. So Solomon is speaking here from experience when he says this. So why is the pursuit of money and riches not going to lead you to satisfaction? Because you're just going to lose sleep over it. It's going to lead you to restlessness, not satisfaction, he says. Then verse 13, he says, There's a grievous evil I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So they were hoarded to whose hurt? To his hurt. The picture of someone who hoards and hoards and hoards, and it leads to his hurt. And he goes on to say in verse 14, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's the father of a son, and he has nothing in his hand. So this rich man at one time had a lot of money, invest in a, in a bad venture. We don't know what that was. It was something where he ended up losing his money. And now he has no inheritance to pass on to his son. In a shame and honor-based culture like this, this is describing someone who acted in a shameful way. He made a foolish decision to now, it's, on, it's to his shame that he doesn't have anything to pass on to his family. 
He lost it all in a bad venture. What was the bad venture? We don't know. But it could have been anything. Could have been some shady guy who said, hey, give me your money and I'll triple it in a month. Invest with me and I'll triple it. Could have been someone who told you, hey, invest in that new cryptocurrency. It's going to skyrocket to the moon. You're going to be a billionaire in a month. You dump everything in as people have done and lost everything on it. The love of money leads you to making some bad decisions, some foolish decisions. Riches can be so fleeting. Well, we can't be basing our security on them. You know, you can think, and, and we're very good at fooling ourselves and thinking, I'm set. I've, I've got my retirement plan in place. I've got my portfolio. I've diversified it across many different sectors to protect myself. And yet you can lose it in an instant. You don't think you can, but you can. Riches are so fleeting. Talk to Job and ask him if you can lose everything in a day. Stock market can crash. The government can freeze your bank accounts. You can lose everything in an instant. That's why we cannot base our security on our wealth, on the things of this world that we have. It can be taken from us in a moment. It goes on to say, verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the winds? Moreover, verse 17, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. You're going to get the feel of where Solomon is getting at here. But that first line there, verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, there he's going to go. You come into this world naked. You come into this world with nothing. You're going to leave this world naked. You're going to leave this world with nothing. Not talking about your spiritual life. He's talking about your physical body. That there's no trailer hitch on a hearse for a reason. There's no U-Haul on a hearse. You don't bring your goods with you when you die. And so this is why he said, yeah, it's a grievous evil. What gain is there to toil and toil and toil after that which you're just going to leave here after you die anyway? And he's talked about before, maybe you're going to leave it to some people, but then they're just going to squander it. You know, the stats say that among the very wealthy, among the second generation, by the end of the second generation, most of their wealth is gone. That's been passed on to them. Someone who's incredibly wealthy that leaves it to their kids. The percentages, I don't remember the exact percentages, are high that within the end of their life, that wealth is gone. It's a grievous evil to toil and toil and toil, chasing the winds, earning and acquiring more and more stuff in this world, only to leave it when you die. There's no gain when you live your life pursuing only riches for yourself. He says in verse, so, so why is it not a good idea to pursue riches? Why is it a bad idea? You just leave it, you can't take it with you when you go. So there's got to be a better investment that we can be making with that which God has entrusted to us than to invest in anything 
under the sun and base our hope and satisfaction in that. So he's pointing us again to move from out, to consider moving from outside under the sun and now look at how can we be investing our lives for that which will make a difference after we die? How can we be investing our lives for that which will matter for all of eternity? You imagine standing before Jesus. Jesus returns. We're standing before him with every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And beside us is someone who says, thank you for investing in this project that you gave to. I am here today because of what was given to that project is what led me to coming a follower of Jesus Christ. I am here today because of your investment of your time on, this, on the earth. Because of that investment you made. You chose not to acquire more for yourself. You chose to give it away. You chose to live with open hands and to give generously to the work that God is doing around the world. And because of that, I am here today. That not just fill your soul with joy. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation, sickness, and anger. So why is it a bad idea? It leads to much vexation, sickness, and anger. He says it leaves, it's kind of a picture of someone who is alone. Picture of a person who dies after not enjoying life. They just work and work and work, toil and toil and toil. And in the end, they die, and they die alone. They got a big boat, but they got no one to sail with. So the kind of question that comes out of this is why? This is where it's going to lead to this, this middle part of the chiasm here. Why then would you invest so much energy uh, just seeking to acquire more stuff and more power and more money? Why would you make that the goal of your life if this is how your life is going to end up? So don't do that. What then relationship with money should we have? And this is what he moves into in verse 18. It says, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given to him. For this is his lot. To be content with your lot in life. To be content with the blessings that God has given to you. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. You want to circle that if you do that in your Bible. Notice that the power to enjoy what God has given to you is a gift. And to accept his law and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So it's, it's, it's the gift of God to have power to enjoy them, to accept your lot, to not always be looking for something else but to rest in God alone, to trust in God alone, that's a gift to be able to do that. And then to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Verse 20, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Picture of, you heard the phrase before, time flies when you're having fun. Time flies when you're living generously for the sake of others. Time flies when you're living your life for the good of others and you're loving life because the joy in your heart that God's put there 
to seek the best interest of others, to glorify God with all that he has entrusted to you. When you start living like that, time begins to fly because you're having so much fun giving your life away. So time flies when you're having fun. So what's, what's the right response that we should have? And essentially what he's saying here is this. Here's the right response we should have to money. Don't make it a God, but enjoy what God has given to you and stop craving more of it. Enjoy what God has given to you. Be thankful for what God has given to you. Use it wisely for the sake of his glory. And stop craving more all the time. Be content with the blessings that God has put right in front of you. So it's not about how much you have. It's not about how little you have. That's not what he's dealing with at all here. But it's how we view what we have and how we use what we have, what God has entrusted to us. And it's this gift of God that he's given to us to be able to enjoy it in this way, to be able to use it for his glory, to be able to invest it in that which is eternal. Truth is, you can be so, we can be so concerned with what we don't have that we fail to enjoy what's right in front of us. We fail to be thankful for what is right in front of us. Our eyes are so quick to wander and to see what others have and to say, hey, that's not fair. How come they have that and I don't? Be content with what God has entrusted to you and use it for his glory. He goes on now. He's going to explain some reasons, more reasons why it's important that we do that. Verse 1 of chapter 6, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor. Now those are three things. You remember those were promised to Solomon, the very three things promised to Solomon. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so he lacks nothing of all that he desires. He has everything this world could ever give him. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity and a grievous evil. So you have everything this world could ever offer you, but you don't enjoy them. But then someone else, there's a stranger, he says, enjoys them. Maybe that's the government will enjoy it. You didn't do a proper job of doing your will correctly and all that kind of stuff, and you die. It's the government, those strangers that enjoy the toil that you did and take advantage of that. But it's a picture of you die, you had no friends, you accumulated it all, and it's just passed on to someone else, even a stranger. That's why it's vanity. Verse 3 goes on, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many lives, so the days of his years are many. So these are promised blessings. Remember in Old Testament context, this is promised blessing to be have a fruitful womb and to live long years. So God's blessed you on, in your time on this earth, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds its rest rather than in he. 
of someone who has everything this life could ever offer, not satisfied with life's good things, always wants more, lived his life for himself in the pursuit of acquiring more for himself. And it says he has no burial. There's no one there at his funeral that wants to be there to pay respects to him at all because he lived for himself. This is someone who had many kids and yet he lived for himself. No one wants to remember him. No one wants to thank God for him. There's no funeral for him. No service at all. He says, I I say a stillborn child is better off than he. Better to die young than to have wasted your long life on vain things. Stillborn child doesn't know the hardships of this world. And a stillborn child is with Jesus. Better to be a stillborn child than to live a long life and to waste your life living for nothing. Verse 6, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the same place. Not talking about what happens to your soul, it's talking about what happens to your body, do not, to your physical body. Does not every body end up in the ground eaten by worms? Don't we all just end up in that same place? So death is kind of that great equalizer, and you see that from Solomon time and time again. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you cannot overcome death. Death is the great equalizer. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you will face death. You will die. The happy thought for the morning on family day weekends. Verse seven goes on. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Kind of like a think of a hamster on a wheel, just spinning and spinning and spinning. That's how some people live their lives. When you love money. That's how some people live their lives. It's kind of routine, monotonous. It is running, running, running. You go to work so you can make money, so you can eat. So you have the strength to go to work, to make money, so you can eat. So you have the strength to, and it just goes on and on and on. And this is what you live for. This kind of, your appetite is never satisfied in the things of this world because they were never intended to be satisfied in the things of this world. So you just spin and spin and spin and it leads to this kind of incredible frustration on your part as you seek to do that. For what advantage, verse eight, for what advantage has the wise man over the fool and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Uh, The answer is none. What, What advantage has the wise man over the fool in terms of death? None. Then verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the winds. He's saying it's better to be content what you have right in front of you, that your eyes can see, than to constantly crave more. The same thing we just talked about just a moment moment ago in that center of that chiasm. Better to be thankful and to count your blessings and to name them one by one as you look with your eyes at what God has given you and entrusted to you, then to constantly crave more and more and more and to never be satisfied because that person has what I want, so I'm going to try to get it. And then once you get it, you see someone else who has something else you want and you want that until you get to the point where, oh, that guy's building a a ship to Mars to put a hotel there. I'm going to build one too more and more. And then after Mars, it's going to be Jupiter. And I don't know. I don't know. I think Jupiter is too far away, isn't it? (laughs) 
Our heart is never satisfied when we love money and we live our lives for, for acquiring more wealth for ourselves. So it's better, better to be thankful what you have. And then in verse 10 to 12, kind of we close with this. And this is that closing of the bracket that reminded us, remember, of this need of a better king. Verse 10, whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Now, I want to read that again, but use the word that's in the Hebrew. It is known what Adam is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Talking about that which has already been named, talking about Adam, what's he bringing up? He's bringing up creation here. Creation and the curse. Because of the curse, we have this kind of vain pursuit and think that these things in this world will satisfy. So what's known to Adam, that he's not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Verse 11, the more words, the more vanity. What is the advantage to man? For, for who knows what is good for Adam while he lives the few days of his vain life? Which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So that first question in verse 12 who knows what is good for Adam in the few days he lives on this earth? And you'd think, well, maybe Adam knows. Maybe man knows what's best for him. And you probably have heard that said before. Well, I know what's best for me. You know what the scriptures say? No, you don't. The one who knows what's best for you is the one who created you. So who knows What's best for Adam? Who knows what's best for you? God does. And who is it that can tell a man who he's going to be after, under the sun, after him under the sun? These answers of, of only God. These are things that only God can do. So God knows. God knows. God, our creator, knows how we were created to know joy and to know satisfaction. And this is where we're pointed to again to the one to whom we can know this satisfaction and joy. The reason for all of this toil, the reason for all of this struggle, the reason our hearts have this pull to put our trust in someone or something other than God is because we live in a fallen world. It's because of the curse. And the good news is there has a king that has come to reverse the curse. There is a king who has come to deal with the root cause of all of these issues, and that is your heart. He's come to transform your heart. And rather than be selfish and stingy, a heart that's been transformed by Christ is a heart that seeks to live its life for the good of others, to the glory of God. A heart that takes joy in laying down our lives for the sake of others. A heart that takes joy in generously giving to what God is doing in this world and not just trying to acquire more for ourselves. The gospel transforms us to be people who are content, to people who enjoy the gifts that God has given to them, not trying to get out of them what God never put into them, but to enjoy them as his gifts and to steward them well, for his glory, for the good of others. We are created to know joy, not by having 
a relationship with money where we look to that for satisfaction, but by fixing our eyes on Christ, on Jesus who came as the true and better king, the only king who could ever satisfy, the only king who could ever give you contentment. And so let's together fix our eyes on the one true king. Let's together build our lives on the foundation that is unshakable. And that is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And let's invest our lives knowing that there is a day coming when Christ is going to return. And we are going to spend all eternity with him. Let's invest our short time on this earth that is like but a shadow, Solomon says here, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of others, knowing and experiencing the day of Christ's return as a day of joy and not as a day of terror. Let's invest in eternal things. And in the end, we'll know without a shadow of a doubt that it was worth it all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that challenges us, that goads us, that reminds us of what is important in this life. And that reminds us of the foundation upon which we can build our lives on and know contentment and know joy and know a peace that passes all understanding when we build that foundation on your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I, help, I, I pray that you would help us to see how so often our heart gravitates towards these lies that are being spouted at us at every corner of finding satisfaction and happiness in, in more stuff and more wealth and more money. Hell, may, may your spirit just remind us time and time again and expose those as idols, expose the, the, the lies that those are. And anytime we feel or sense our heart pulling away from the gospel and towards finding contentment in the things of this world, I pray that we would be quick to repent and that we would be quick to open up your word and be reminded of the satisfaction that's found only in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus who came and reverse the curse. Thank you for Jesus who came to die in our place on the cross that our sins can be forgiven. Thank you for Jesus who rose again and that we too can have new life, abundant life in him, joy found in living in relationship with him. Thank you that he ascended to heaven and one day he is coming back again to make all things new. I pray that you would give us eyes and wisdom to know how we can best live our lives today in light of that day when Christ returns. Remind us time and time again that there is no trailer hitch on a hearse. 
And may we invest in eternal things, that which will matter forever and ever and ever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's Word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless. Thank you.